Hey everyone, welcome to Cedar and Cypress podcast or welcome back if you have been listening for a little while. My name is Allison and it's just going to be me today, not really for any particular reason besides just schedules being hectic and not being able to get mine and Liv's schedules to really coincide well for a recording for this episode. So this weekend is just going to be me, so I hope that's all right with you. And I'm just going to kind of jump straight into what I have planned for us today because we have so much information to get through today. If you were looking at the title of this episode, it's all about King David. He's a really important figure in the Old Testament, and I'm really passionate about making the Old Testament accessible and make sense in the light of the larger biblical narrative. So everything that we find in the Old Testament is incredibly important to understand the gospel, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that on its face. When we're reading biblical narrative or we're looking through Old Testament stories, it can be challenging to see how it all kind of coincides and comes back to the most important part of the Bible and the most important message is the gospel, is Jesus. And that's my goal for you today. King David is someone who has always fascinated me. Last year, I did a read-through of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, which is really where you find his story. You find King David's story from 1 Samuel through the first couple chapters of 1 Kings. And by this, the end of this episode, my goal is that you will be just as fascinated with King David's life as I am, not because of David himself, but because of how cool God is and how he works through David's life. My hope is that this episode will challenge your notions about David's story because if you've grown up in the church, you may be extremely familiar with his story. And at this point, Certain aspects of David's life may have become deadened to you if you've listened or heard sermons or you've heard a lot about David's life. You may kind of feel like you know a lot about it. And honestly, I, I, I've i been in that position as well. I've thought often that I kind of know, I know David's overall gist, his story, his life, the major plot points, all those kinds of things. But when I reread through the books that depict his life, I realized how many things I am unaware of and how much I can learn from his life. So I don't want to be presumptuous and assume that you've never heard a story presented in a unique or fresh way, but I'm making this episode because I want to present it in a fresh way for you and because I don't think everyone, anyone really ever presented his story to me in the way that I am going to be presenting it to you today. Something that is really interesting about David is that he's someone who is both immensely relatable and also extremely unrelatable at the same time. And I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself, so I'm going to just share a little bit more about that. I think there are some qualities in David that are really easy to identify with. And like I always say in this podcast, you've probably heard this in most of our episodes, while we should be cautious about inserting ourselves or imposing our characteristics into these individuals that we find in the Bible, there's still individuals who make up this greater thing that is called humanity that we can identify with that we can we can share struggles with and can understand and there are some qualities in David that are certainly easy to identify with being the underdog in some situations maybe having a job that may be hard or challenging he was a shepherd and then he was a king so those those jobs while immensely different from each other were challenging he experienced a lot of loneliness a lot of fear and despair he had conflict in his family and in his relationships and in his romantic relationships. We'll go through that. 
He had an adulterous and a wicked heart. And although you might not feel like you can necessarily relate to that, I'm going to prove to you how we can relate to that aspect of David. We also know that he loved God. He had extreme joy and love for God, which is something that can be relatable for a lot of us who are Christians. But we see that sometimes, depending on the situation for David, that love for God and that willingness to follow God's law waxed and waned depending on the situation, which is also something super relatable about him. Maybe something that's just super basic about him is the fact that he played an instrument and he played the harp and maybe that's relatable to you. So there's these qualities in David that we see that are extremely easy to identify with and to compare ourselves with. And there's just parts of David that are really, really human about him. Things that are feel very accessible about him. They're cool, they're relatable, they're interesting. Yet there are a lot of things about him that are really foreign and unusual to us. So he can kind of become inaccessible when we consider those things. Things about his life that are just downright troubling and disturbing. You know, first of all, he was a shepherd. None of us, or at least probably most of us, will never be shepherds. So that is something that's a little challenging to identify with. He killed a giant with a sling and a stone. He was responsible for uniting Israel. He also had tons of wives. And he was so famous that songs were even written about him. He became a king, which is probably something none of us will ever experience. He also had his mentor try to murder him. That's hopefully something that you've never experienced. Essentially became a murderer himself and became an adulterer. So there are these parts about David that are really disturbing and very unusual and as interesting and fascinating as some of these things are. They're dark, they're scary, and they're things that we shouldn't typically be relating to because they're not great things in his story. So what I'm trying to get us to understand here is that these individuals that we encounter in the Old Testament, there are a lot of things about their lives, their culture, the time that they lived in, their customs, their way of life, their families that are so different from the way that we we live in our lifestyles now here in mo- the modern West that we have to be willing to take off the expectations and the understanding that we impose upon the Bible when we approach these individuals when we look at their stories, and when we understand how God was intervening in their life. Because if we choose to do that, if we're willing to do that, the things that we can pick out are incredible. David was a guy whose highs were really high and whose lows were really low. He's such a unique person because so much of his life is recorded in the Bible, like I mentioned, spanning across three different books. He's almost kind of like a superhero. I don't know if you're much of a superhero person, but if you like superhero movies or comics or anything like that, you know that every single superhero has that story, has an event in their life or some catastrophic happening in their life that occurred that has pushed them into being the person that they are now. And that's that's what we have when we approach 1 Samuel 16 and 17. We see this story of David as a shepherd being selected to do something incredible, that he's selected to reign as king. And so we, ha- we also see, when we trace through the rest of his life, we see that he had a great reign as king. He had a lot of military success, but at the same time, he had a lot of sin in his life and he had some really deep moral failures in his life. We get to see his tragedies and his triumph. He's kind of it's kind of this puzzling guy who's confusing because a lot of us even know about David that he was called the man after God's own heart. And so there's these things about him that are 
very hard to reconcile with that understanding that we have of David. The most important thing, though, is not David himself. Although his life is extremely compelling and we can learn some great things from him and he sets some examples in a really great way and he also sets some examples of things we should not be doing, the thing that's most important about David is how God worked through him and how God revealed himself in this person that we know as King David, this man after God's own heart. Our goal is not to enter the Old Testament and cherry pick tidbits from people's lives. So what I'm not trying to do today is to cherry pick little tidbits or nuggets from David's life and then try to extrapolate things and insert ourselves into it. Or even just take tiny little bits of information like David danced for the Lord, so we should be dancing for the Lord too, like we see in 2 Samuel 6. Or we don't even want to be approaching it in such a way of, David and Jonathan were great friends, so we should be great friends to others too from 1 Samuel 18. All those are great and important insights, and we could take his story in that direction. We could we could study those particular parts of his life to earn insight and to gain wisdom. That's not what I wanted to do today. What I want to do today is to sweep through the major movements of God in David's life and identify the key elements of how his story points to the gospel, because that's ultimately what it's all about. Everything in the Bible, everything in the scriptures points to Jesus from the first pages to the last pages, Genesis to Revelation, he's the Alpha and Omega. Everything in the Bible is like a massive road sign that points to Jesus if you're willing to see it. And what I want to do today is model that example of seeking Jesus in every part of the Bible for you and how we can seek Jesus in every narrative of the Bible, even if God's name isn't even mentioned or even if it's not clear exactly what he's doing, we can see that God is still orchestrating things if we're willing to kind of read between the lines. When we study David's life, what we're actually doing is exploring the ways that God consistently showed up for David and came through for Israel again and again and again. Looking at David's life is essentially just studying God, who orchestrated everything behind the scenes. So what's important as we move into David's life is asking ourselves, what is God doing throughout the major movements of David's life? Why would the biblical authors take such time and care to craft this narrative about just one guy's life among the many that existed? So let's find out together. I want to take you along this journey, one that I went down on my own, and I'm just, I thought it was so incredible that I wanted to make sure I shared it with you. So let's get started. I have my Bible here open to 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to be kind of flipping through different chapters. I'm not going to be reading full passages, but I'm going to be hitting the major highlights of David's life. What we see happen in 1 Samuel 16 is that God picks David, who is the shepherd and the youngest of his family. What God is doing here is showing that he is someone who works through the least of these, the people who are less likely to be chosen, the people who we likely would never choose to do the big tasks or the important things, not the big strong man, but the small shepherd boy. God uses the humble and ordinary people. This foreshadows how Jesus was a humble, ordinary man who came from Nazareth, who came through a virgin in a lowly, was born in a lowly stable in the most humble of circumstances and of means. God is constantly using the people that we let least likely think are going to be used for those incredible things, just like David. So we see that it's when Samuel, the prophet, goes to visit Jesse and his sons, and Samuel thinks that each of the next strongest man is going to be the guy that God wants to use to become the king of Israel, God's people. And the Lord kind of rebukes and corrects Samuel by saying, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
So we see here as Jesse's kind of lining up his signs and saying, is this the one? Is this the one? Samuel keeps thinking this next strong dude is going to be the guy. And instead, the Lord chooses David. And we see in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, that God decides to use David to defeat Goliath, this Philistine giant. And this shows how much God opposes pride and arrogance in those that defy him. God shows his stance against those who harm, kill, and destroy others. And this further even foreshadows how Jesus came to triumph over evil and point out the sin in other people's hearts. And that he came not just to conquer in this physical life, but to conquer spiritually. Just for a second, I want to pick apart what's really going on in this story because David and Goliath is something that we have seen in picture books growing up. If we grew up in the church or grew up under the Christian faith, we're so familiar with this story. And I want to look at it afresh. In a world of strife and war, when Israel's heart has gone astray and they've chosen an earthly king, here we see one man who believes in the one and true God. We have to keep in mind this prophet Samuel, who who I briefly mentioned in the last chapter, Samuel was anguished at Israel's demand for a king because they already had a king, God. We see that in 1 Samuel 8, that that Samuel is, is distraught at the fact that Israel is demanding this king, this earthly king to look to, almost like an idol. Saul ended up becoming their first king and he inaugurated the time of the kings. Saul was a pretty lousy king, even though he was handsome and he looked like he had it all put together on the outside. We see him described in 1 Samuel 9 like this, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. I don't know if that kind of cracks you up like it cracks me up, but it's just, it's interesting to me that this Um, there's an emphasis here on his height and his stature. And then we see God is directly opposing that idea that that person that looks the best on the outside is the right person for the job. God opposes that idea by choosing David instead. What we see here when David confronts Goliath is that David is justified by his faith. This is a phrase me, we as modern evangelicals are like super familiar with, especially if you've grown up in the church. We hear this phrase a lot, justified by grace through faith, and this is popularized from Paul's writings in Ephesians 2. But this theme is even older and more ancient than that. It's not just from Ephesians. Paul was pulling on this idea that we encounter all these figures in the Bible who believed in God and had faith in him, not because of their own works and not because they were the best and the brightest and the coolest and the most popular and the most attractive and the tallest, but because they had faith in the one true God. In Hebrews 11, we encounter the hall of faith where we see all these people who are being mentioned from the Old Testament who are justified by their faith, but not their works. This theme is evident all throughout scripture from even starting with Abraham and it's present in David's story as well. I just wanted to reiterate that by grace through faith doesn't happen in a vacuum, that we as Christians have kind of inherited this incredible tradition through God's people that we're justified by our faith. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it goes on to describe Abel and Abraham and Moses and all these incredible people who God decided to use for his glory. Verse 32 even says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, of the prophets. So David is mentioned right here as someone who was justified by his faith. One of the most powerful things that I find in David is what he said to Goliath when he confronted him. He said, 
You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. From David, here's an incredible, pow- an incredibly powerful display of his faith and his belief that God is the true king and that he doesn't wage his battles just physically with a sword and a spear, but he is the ruler, the creator, and he wins all. Later on, we see a couple chapters down, Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David and of, of his anointing. So Saul attempts to murder David and David is forced to flee. However, later in the book, when David is presented with the opportunity to kill Saul in return, he resists the temptation for revenge. This happens twice, first in chapter 24 and again in 26. David's righteous choice here to do good unto an evil person foreshadows how Jesus would claim victory by dying on the cross and taking the wrath that we deserved, by dying for the very people who were opposing him and who were rejecting him. However, everything about David's life is not all sunshine and roses. We know that David ended up violating God's law to have only one wife, which is a pretty big deal and a pretty big issue in his life. He married several wives. So Michael from 1 Samuel 18, Abigail and Hinoam from 1 Samuel 25, Maka, Higgeth, Abidal, and Eglah from 2 Samuel 3, and Bathsheba from 2 Samuel 11. I probably did not say those names right, but I gave it my best effort. Here we see David's desire for excess and his unwillingness to commit to one woman and the concession to the cultural customs of the time which display his moral failure. What the biblical authors are doing right here is showing how David's selfishness is reflected in our own hearts and how the moral fallen state of humanity shows the adulterous nature of our hearts as well. And I wanted to take a second because I just mentioned Bathsheba. This is an incredibly important part of David's life. This is also a story that you probably are likely really familiar with from David's life. This is one of the most famous parts about him. So in 2 Samuel 11 through 12, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He sees a, a beautiful woman bathing and he decides that he wants her. He summons her and he takes her for himself. Then after that, to cover up what he had done, he ended up essentially murdering her husband. So he put Bathsheba's husband Uriah on the front lines of battle where he was sure to die. So here, there is a reminder that David, no matter how great a man he was, he was sinful and fallen himself. His poor judgment and selfish decision-making are a mirror that reflect the condition of the human heart and the sin that continues to wreak havoc on the world the way it did then. This means, this points to the fact that someone better, someone perfect, someone who is completely whole needs to come. And that is Jesus. Another thing that we can learn from David here is that his repentance models our need for candor and returning to God after we have sinned. In Psalm 51, we see a really honest song from David of lament and of repentance. It's called Create in a me a clean heart, O God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This really highlights the need for people in our lives who are willing to tell us the truth. Because this was after Nathan had visited him and had known what he was done, he had done and told him, you need to prevent repent from this. This is a serious issue. 
This highlights the need for people in our lives who are willing to tell us the truth, the ugly truth. David had people in his life who were willing to rebuke him, even though he was king and in a position of power. This begs the question for us, have we surrounded ourselves with people who love God and who love us enough to tell us the truth and who will lovingly convict us of wrongdoing when they see it in our lives? You know, at the beginning of this episode, I said we should be able to relate to David's adultery. And you might have thought at that time that doesn't really apply to me, especially if you're in a faithful, committed, and loving marriage. But anytime we sin, we commit infidelity and adultery in our covenant relationship with God. We have to be willing to recognize that in our own lives. Because you know what that pushes us to? This points to the fact that we need Jesus' grace, his forgiveness, and covering for our sins just the same way that David did all those many years ago after he had sinned and taken Bathsheba and essentially murdered Uriah to cover up what he had done. Further on in David's story, we see that he's anointed king of Judah in 2 Samuel 2, and, and then he actually becomes the king of all of Israel, 2 Samuel 5. He defeats the evil and violent Philistines, he honors the Ark of the Covenant, and God's presence among Israel is restored. We know, however, that we follow one king, Jesus, and as incredible as the things that David did are, that isn't the main reason that we're grateful for the example that we see in David's life. In 2 Samuel 7, we see that God summarizes David's journey thus far, and this is the incredibly powerful moment where he promises to David that he will establish an eternal kingdom through him. This is direct prophecy from God. This is a revelation that Jesus, the Messiah, would come through David's line. I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him, not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is what we refer to as the Davidic covenant, the promise that there will be this eternal kingdom that will never pass away through David. We even see after this, God continues to award David with military success, defeating others. So this incredible picture of God revealing what he was doing through David's life, all those things that led up to it, the sin, the tragedies, the triumph, the good moments, the times that he made the right choice, all those things have culminated in this, the most important part about David's life, this covenant and promise that God made to him. Now, I'm sure that there were probably times in David's life that he lost sight of this. I'm kind of just, this is kind of just conjecture, but we as humans, our hearts are so fallen and so broken that as much as God promises us, sometimes we stray from it. So we see that his life was not easy after this. Although there were, there was this incredible promise to him, it wasn't easy for him. His extended family and children experience strife and conflict. We see that story laid out in 2 Samuel 13 through 15 and in chapter 18. And just like any other person, he also died. 2 Samuel 23 and 24 outlined some of his last words, his final actions. He prays on behalf of Israel. And then in 1 Kings 2, David dies and his son Solomon succeeds him. 
Verse 10 through 12 says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is kind of an aside, but if you know anything about Solomon, you know that he started off great by asking God for wisdom, but his heart also went astray because of women. Also, he started to worship idols. And so we see this kind of similar pattern and theme throughout this family that there is this willingness to give into the culture and the customs of the time to take on multiple wives and to abandon the law that God had given them and how many times that leads us astray, how often and how easy it is to identify with the fact that our hearts go astray, they're adulterous. This is why we need Jesus, because just like any other man, David passed away. David's life came and it went. His life is both a mirror and a shadow at the same time. His poor choices, the conflict in his life and in his family, they're mirrors for us as humans to see ourselves and identify with the condition of David's heart. Sinful, wicked, depraved, and selfish. His poor choices remind us to repent for our own sins. However, at the same time, David's life is also a shadow of the one who was to come, a shadow of the true and one Messiah. Although David was the leader of Israel, his good choices that he had made on behalf of Israel were only a taste of the person that was to come through his line and who God had promised would come through his line. He was a deliverer, he was a ruler of a sort, but he's just a shadow or an image of the person who is fully realized in Jesus Christ. We talked in last week's episode on spiritual warfare part three, we talked about Jesus and the image of Jesus that we see in Revelation 5. I just want to read to you verse 5 where it says, one of the elders said to me, the me is referring to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open up the scroll and its seven seals. As much time as I wish I had to get into all that crazy, amazing stuff about him being the Lion of Judah and those images, but the most important thing that I want to point out for the purpose of today's episode is that here we see that hearkening back to the fact that God is faithful and God always upholds his side of the bargain, his side of the deal, his side of the covenant, I guess bargain if you want to use a crude word, but God always upholds his side. He is always faithful regardless of how sinful and how depraved humans are. In the last book of the Bible, David is mentioned here. And the most important thing about David is that he got to be a part of Jesus's story. There are so many aspects of David's life that reflect and show us who Jesus is and the fact that he was to come. David was once a servant to Saul and played him music. Christ called himself a servant. He took up the servanthood posture of humility. In Mark 10, 45, we see Jesus saying, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see even further on, David became an exalted and a glorified king, and Christ reigns now and forever. This is what we discussed last week in Revelation. Although his kingdom resulted in the eternal kingdom, David died before ever seeing all that come to fruition because he was fallible. He was just a human like all the rest of us. 
you know, it can be kind of easy to identify with David because it's almost like he has those two personas, like the good guy who makes the right choices, who honors God. We can identify with that because that's sometimes who we are. We're the ones making the right choices. We're the ones modeling Christ-like behavior. We love Jesus. How relatable is that? We have our great moments where we totally do the right thing, but we also have our really bad moments where we really make poor choices or we behave in a way that we regret. Even Paul identified with this internal struggle against fleshly desires. Romans 7.15 says, I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. He's referring to this internal struggle against our sin that even though Jesus has saved us, there's still going to be days where we mess up or we make mistakes and that's why we need Jesus so much. Everything about David's life, from his humble beginnings as a shepherd boy to his death as a famous king, reflects humanity's need for Jesus. Again, like I mentioned, his mistakes are a mirror for us and his good choices and the good aspects of his life are shadows of Jesus. When we read David's life as a signpost that points to Jesus, it makes so much more sense and it's so much more accessible for us as Christians. And there's so much more practical theology that we can pull out of it and walk out as Christ followers today. And what do we even see too in Matthew 1, Jesus' genealogy that David is mentioned there? So we see God fulfilled his promise to David, even though David never got to see it. How would it change our lives too to believe in God and be faithful to his plans even when we don't know exactly what they are? To keep walking forward in the light and to keep living according to the way the Bible teaches us. Because you never know, sometimes you might not get to see the fruition of the hard work that you've put in. Sometimes you don't always get to see the harvest, but there always is a harvest. And we can be sure of that because we know who God is. And we know who God is because we see his character being consistent all throughout the Bible. We see it from the beginning when he creates humans to the very end in Revelation where the world ends. And he's still the same God. This is the gospel that we need. The gospel challenges, comforts, and changes us. It challenges our preconceived notions about God, ourselves, and the world, and about things in the Bible. It will confront us with things that we're uncomfortable with. But it also comforts us in our identity and our eternal security and victory in Christ that we can walk out our lives in him today. And we don't have to be afraid. We can be so secure in Christ that when we make mistakes, it's okay for us to apologize. It's okay for us to move forward from our mistakes that we can repent just like David did. But furthermore, it changes our hearts. It renews our mind and it transforms our lives. It changes our desires so that we don't have the desire for sin. So we don't have the appetite for sin the way that we did before we were in Christ. So as much as being in Christ and becoming a more mature Christian should result in less desire to sin, we're still going to mess up sometimes. We're still going to do the wrong thing sometimes. And that's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus's covering over us, just like David did. When we read David's life in this way, what we glean from it is so much different than if we were to just read his story in such a way of, you know, he danced for God, we should dance for God, or he had a great friendship, we should have a great friendship, or he defeated a giant and we have giants to defeat in our lives. As, as interesting in how I think we can take out those little snippets and, you know, we can create these really cool phrases or catchphrases or we can have these ideas about David. His life is so much more than that. I think we need to honor and respect the person that David was, just as we honor and respect any other person, that his life, it was challenging. It was hard. He had great moments and that's awesome. But 
We don't want to trivialize his life or oversimplify things in his life to just pick out little bits of information that we want to use and apply to our lives. We have to respect the whole, the whole narrative of his life. I've come to appreciate his story in a way that I never did before. I grew up with the story of King David. I knew who he was and I didn't appreciate his story until I really gave it a full glance. And even today, I move through the major parts of God's movement in his life, the major actions God was taking in in David's life. And I didn't even really zoom in on some of the things that we could have picked out and we could have talked about. I mean, we could have spent a really long time talking about his confrontation with Goliath. We could talk more about the Davidic covenant. We could talk more about his sin with Bathsheba. We could talk more about all those things. But what I really want to show you here is like I mentioned at the top of this episode, I want us to fall in love with the Old Testament and understand how God's promises are traced all throughout the Old Testament. When we approach the Old Testament, I want us to be able to encounter the gospel and the life of everyone that we see there. Again, King David's life is both a mirror and a shadow of the gospel to come. And when we read through that biblical lens, when we take the gospel glasses and we put them on and approach the Bible in that way, It enriches our relationship with God so much because we're even more secure in who he is. We see he's consistent. He always shows up. He always shows up on time, his timing, not ours, but he always does what is right and he orchestrates things for his glory and for the good of those who love him. So that's really what I wanted to present to you today. I wanted to present his life in a fresh way to you. And I also wanted to inspire you to study his life more because again, like I mentioned, we did bird's eye view over his life. I mentioned so many passages in 1st and 2nd Samuel. I would really encourage you to fully read those books because they're incredible storytelling, first of all. The way the narrative is written is incredibly beautiful. But further than that, it inspires a greater love for God and a greater confidence in who he is when we learn all the actions that he's done. We get to know him better through his actions because actions speak louder than words, do they not? We get to know God even better when we look at his movements and his actions throughout the Old Testament. My encouragement for you is to do this with any narrative that you read in the Old Testament and even the New Testament too, but especially because the Old Testament can feel a little bit foreign and inaccessible, completely different culture and time. Sometimes it's it's hard for us to identify with and understand these individuals that we encounter in the Old Testament. But again, when you put on the lens of the gospel and when you realize this is all pointing to Jesus, everything is this massive road sign pointing to Jesus, then you're going to come to the conclusions that I have come to, that God is incredible. Everything he does is amazing. And I should love him more and more. And I should be more spurred to do his work because of who he is and how much he loves me and how much he has forgiven me from. With all of that said, that is what I have for you today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you want more like it, please definitely DM us or email us. If you study David's life, please, please, please reach out, whether through our email address or through our direct messages on Instagram to share anything that you glean or learn. I mean, you can really reach out to us anytime, but if you'd like to see kind of more of these case studies where we dive into people's lives and we see how it reflects the gospel, please let me know. I will never go into a story with preconceived notions about what I can pull out from somebody's life, but because the Bible is one biblical narrative that is all about Jesus Christ and all about the gospel, everything in the Bible we can clearly see is about him. 
And so if you'd like me to break that down for any other individuals that you're confused or concerned about in the Old Testament or even in the New, just please reach out to us. Let us know. We can always do another episode like this. Maybe I can turn it into a little ongoing series where I can release these kind of bonus episodes for you. So I really hope that you've enjoyed, that you've learned. We will return next week with Liv on an episode on how we can hear from God. See you next time.